Welcome back to episode 15 of The Redo. Uh, it's a brand new year for us, and we're going to start off by talking about the new 52 Places New York Times Traveler. As you know, we've been sort of following the old one as she exited and she gave us some lessons. And then we're going to segue into a burning question in my mind, which is, are Asians basic? <laughs> and then we're just going to you know, <laughs> clean up with a couple you know, food news items that I want to talk to Marco about. But um, apparently it's been a pretty long time, Marco. Hello. Yes. I mean, should I even tell... tell... <laughs> Digital world, like how long it's been? Um, yeah, why not? You know, we're I think it's been here. four months, almost, almost four months. Like a whole, that's more than a season, John. That's so sad. But I guess it's because we've been so busy and jet setting. Have we been? <laughs> uh, is that true? Sort of, I, <laughs> I did drive to Partially LA two true. weeks ago. I mean, that's pretty jet setting. You were what? I did drive to LA two weeks ago. Oh, that's more. Yeah. I mean, I didn't drive to LA two weeks ago. Um, let's start at the top. Yes, let, it, let us do it. Do you want to give us a little background on the 52 Traveler, the new one? Oh, yes, yes. So if any of you have followed our past uh, episodes, in a, about a year and a half ago, the New York Times had put out this call that they were going to send one lucky person out to actually visit their 52 recommended places for the year. So they would hit one new place a year, file their stories, et cetera, et cetera. And the big hoopla about it was that you did not have to be a journalist. You didn't have to have any writing experience they just wanted somebody interesting who did the work, blah, blah, blah. So like, like I think 10,000 people applied, something like that, including myself. And I totally choked on the last application part. I did it, but I was like, no, I didn't send the right clips in. But anyway, um, so because of that, we followed her and we made predictions as to who they would choose. We kind of were right. Uh, you know, they did a mixed race Asian American woman who just turned 40. Very cool. She was a journalist, but she apparently she, she hadn't traveled a lot. So I think that was kind of their balance between choosing someone who they knew they could do the work, but also somebody like fresh faced in that sense. So unbeknownst to many people, including myself, which I'm embarrassed about, they decided to do it again. I thought it was a one-time deal, but no, no. So therefore, uh, the number of applicants was much lower this time. It was still a lot. I think it was maybe hundreds. And there were a lot of applicants who applied who had gotten rejected the previous year. And when I found out about this, um, before I read who the new 52 Places person was going to be, I had my predictions and I was almost right again. Did you have predictions, John, as to who it was going to uh, be? Like you, I had no idea they were doing it again until you pointed it to me. Um, so... Oh, I thought you did it to me. Anyway. Yeah. What was your prediction? My prediction for the second one was that it had to be uh, a male this time, obviously, but I was thinking like queer South Asian male or something like that. And I was almost right. <laughs> It's a, this writer named Sebastian Modak. He seems very cool. He's a very experienced journalist who actually has traveled a ton, I think, his whole life. Uh, and he was a finalist from the previous year, and then he got in this time. So I will say kudos to the New York Times for giving people another chance. Because I would think for a lot of contests, if you made it to the finals, then you're kind of disqualified the next yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, isn't that a little this time they're like, All right, all right, we'll give you another chance. That's very cool. I don't know if he's queer. I don't know if that's relevant, but just in terms of the diversity and the different voices and perspectives. Um, so that was that. I think one of the things we wanted to discuss was, uh, you know, Jada Yuan had this basically, you know, a recap article of all the things that she had learned in her whole year. And, uh, I think you brought up some of the, something that was hilarious to me, but did you want to, um, point out? Yeah. I mean, you know, she wrote maybe a couple thousand words to wrap up her year. Uh, and, and one of the things that she really focused on was the lack of dating options. Uh, I assume that's what you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was hard to hook yes. up. 
Um, <laughs> she was like, it was a celibate yes, year. <laughs> um, which, you know, really is a great headline. Um, but it kind of makes sense because she's traveling, running around every week. And, um, you know, in theory, she could meet people on the go. But yeah, that was really an unforeseen little nugget of knowledge, wouldn't you say? Like, I do. And I think probably does speak to the fact that, you know, the whole solo female traveler thing is only having its moment, you know, within the past couple of years, like in mainstream media. So that's something that you know, you read about like, um, like Hunter S. Thompson, or whatever, and they're like banging left and right, probably spreading all their diseases <laughs> to all these tropical islands. But for a female traveler, I think, you know, like people will judge her differently if she talks about uh, her sexual conquests or sexuality uh, in that kind of way. But because, you know, the reality is that you are worried about your safety a lot more, I can definitely see. And I, I have had experiences myself too. Like you just kind of like, you don't even go there. You like don't even want to think about it because you're like, I don't want to be roofied. I'm out in like a foreign of country by not. myself at night. I don't want to like get wasted and God knows what's going to happen to me. I know that sounds so paranoid. No, it's not paranoid. But it's that's, totally that's a real, it's a, it's a real thing. Yeah. So I guess that's, but that's maybe that's but part of what struck us as surprising because we don't hear that in a lot of travel writing usually. And I think that's part of it. But I think also she was kind of candid in, and for like a mainstream publication, she said that she'd had yes. four makeout sessions. Yes. Or it was the numbers. <laughs> I mean, I love Jada. Yes, you know, exactly. I really uh, following her, following her a little bit and reading her stuff. She's obviously great. Um, mm-hmm. I think you two would be oh, really good friends. I mean, I don't honestly, know how I'm friends with her, but it's going to happen. 100. percent It's going to happen. I feel like you two probably have like maybe two or three degrees of separation from each other. I, I feel it. Oh, uh, I feel like one is plenty. We've got to sniff it. Break. I know people work at the Times. It's fine. Yeah, um, no, like you're like well. same age. Asian American writers traveling. We know Lucas. Hello, they're friends. What did you say? We know Lucas. Oh, <laughs> All of us do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. um, the other thing, you know, that really stood out to me about her journey was that it sounded horrible. You know, um, her lessons, sort of what she has to deal with. And I know that you said it's kind of like a dream job and it does sound like a dream job. But I knew, I mean, at least for me, the way I like to travel, it would be horrible, obviously, because I go for months versus weeks. Mm-hmm. But she talked about her lessons, like her logistics. She talked mm-hmm. about how tired she was. She talked about how many deadlines she was missing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's a safety factor. She didn't do that much nighttime stuff because, mm-hmm. again, it's not safe. Um, getting around to places sounded just incredibly difficult. Yeah, like most of um, her time was just spent actually traveling and planning the travel. Exactly. Which, Even if she had an assistant helping her from remotely from New York, I think. Nobody's whisking her away from one location to another, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I, I feel like reading and, and sort of talking about it, it's like an endurance test. I want to give her medals for making it alive, not quitting. That's true. It's a marathon. And she, I think she got sick a bunch of times, right? Or Yeah. Something like that. I mean, who wouldn't? You're like slogging through the rain and you like can't stop. and <laughs> Which makes me think yeah. that the New York Times should send two or three people at the same time together. Ooh, Wouldn't that make that, it a lot easier? Ooh, if they keep doing this, I mean, they should. To- that would be awesome. Yeah. To uh, see how the job description evolved. Well, as a... Yeah, I might, might, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just wondering if they would be better with the logistics this time around or whether they're still like, mm, how are you going to stand up to this challenge? Challenge. Um, as a, as a solo traveler that you do very often, I mean, what did you take away from some of it? Um, wait, from Jada's stuff or, or? Just, you know, Jada's stuff or just, what did you think sort of reading her stuff or does it make you rethink certain things or? Uh, for myself, I think, I mean, the, a, a lot of my solo travel has also been long as well. Like, oh, I'm going to live here for a year. So I think, you know, the that kind of pressure of having to produce that work every week or several stories a week did not exist for me. So that's definitely different. Um, then I would say, 
I think for some reason, when we found out she was chosen, I think I did not. The impact or the, the realization that she had actually not traveled a lot didn't really sink in until after I had read her summary. Because I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. Because I think when the Times chose her, they were emphasizing the fact that, you know, she had been living in New York and was an accomplished journalist and she was used to dropping into different situations all the time. That's, you know, like, oh, drop into Hollywood to do this piece of the celebrity or whatever, whatever. And so I think that really surprised me in some way. Uh, and I guess, I mean, I guess not everyone, you know, has that chance to do that. I think, for, again, experienced and accomplished, but not worldly. Right. That, I think that travel. goes back to something we had talked about in previous podcasts about the whole New York thing in terms of it's wonderful, but also like a total vortex. And like, there's several types of people who live there, but one of the types that always got me was like, people who'd only lived in ever their hometown and then New York for a long time. And that created like a certain subspecies of person. And then she was one of them. <laughs> not the New York townie, like I said before, but sort of like the metropolitan New Yorker, but not quite like worldly. Right. Like worldly in the sense that everything comes to you, but you haven't right. gone to everything else. And mm. that's like a weird combination to me. So. Yeah. Anyway, any any thoughts about the new one yet? I haven't followed as much as I... I mean, I've followed his Instagram now. His, Of course, his photos are beautiful, like stunning. Yeah, I just... I, I haven't really followed that much, but I do think that uh, they are choosing two people who have pretty, been pretty accomplished and yes. much like Amazon sort of picked the two most obvious biggest cities. Mm. New York Times is clearly not going to take like the butcher from the corner. Right. I think for their second time around, they didn't emphasize the whole like, you don't need experience anymore. They're like, all right, that's done. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, no, we're going to take, we're going to take the best of the best people who clearly know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of like, anybody could be the two time traveler is over. Yeah. Um, end of an era. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I'm saying is we got a shot. We're both professionals. No, um, we're out. <laughs> sort of. I thought I had a shot. I was like, I, I was a journalist. Like, now we know where the bar my, is. So. My clips, my clips. I know the whole video thing these days. I'm like, I am so not oh, in video. the game. Oh man. Yeah. Even, um, okay, quick side note, the whole, just to keeping up with media and being a savvy media producer in order to, to do media, like any kind of media these days, um, apparently it's like one of the apps I use, my gig apps for our service industry. Apparently if you join it now, you have to make a freaking video of yourself. And I was like, man, good thing I got on that train like a, a year or two ago because I would be out also. You need to make a video to pick up gigs? Apparently that's part of your profile or the you application watching your process. Video. Bosses? People want yeah, I think people are like, oh, okay, if you're a bartender, like, watch you make a cocktail and action. I think just to know that you're not full of BS. Like, oh, I really do have this resume. It's real. I really had this experience. Hire me because you don't know anything about me, I guess. I'm like, dang, is that competition that strong now? Oh, my God. I, I anyway, hate it, the shift to video. It, I, you know, I read much faster I than I watch. I don't want to be sitting there for 30 seconds watching the thing I could read in two I know sometimes I don't watch videos because in my mind yeah. it takes too much time. I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, I do. Not. You know, I'm sure we both consume tons of videos, but I'm like, this is – I don't know who are these lazy people who want everything through your video. You know? I know. Streaming video is harder. But Correct. saying we have no, no, no more shot at being 52 places. Have you heard of TikTok? <laughs> Of what? I'm sorry? It's an app called TikTok. No. It's not even cool this? anymore, but I've been asking oh. who knows about it. But it's like the new Why? Snapchat. Um, you know, it's the new Snapchat? It's all video. It's basically short video format. Um, it's but, a very big But not app. Vine? No. Uh, TikTok is like a whole new thing. Just How's put, it different put it on your Vine? radar. Um, I just apply to it and, and I just use it like I did in the beginning of Snapchat. So I just know what it is. Um, mm -hmm. Just follow people and make very short videos. And they're not as well funny. They're a little more personal. But of course, depending on mm -hmm. what kind of subculture you dive into. Um, but just keep your eyes out. TikTok. Okay. I don't know how I can handle any more apps. No, you don't need to okay. use it. Yeah. I mean, no one. The, people our age are not using it. It's people like dancing in their bed. 
bedrooms and like doing great memes and stuff. But like for us, we're, it's not for us. It's, but you know, I feel like maybe one of my colleagues who was a, or is a millennial former colleague was using it. Yeah. I think because they were always, I feel like I was like, what did you do this weekend? And they wouldn't go anywhere. But they would just like stay at home and make videos love, all night, yeah. like, all the time. And I was like, what is this? You 27 year old. Like, now what you know. You now you know. I think maybe it was TikTok. Okay. Maybe. I was, I will look this up. Um, Free entertainment. Do you mm. want to talk about some of your travels recently since you. Oh, sure. Since we we're talking about. We finally went somewhere. Accomplished 52 places. Yeah. We both were, were back to our old selves, sort of, yeah. once again. This is why we couldn't podcast. How does it feel? We does it feel great? The globe. I think, I mean, I've been back now for yeah. a month and a half. The so I'm like, Oh, but it was great. I mean, you went away first and for longer. You want to tell us about that? I'm going to do a job. Um, yeah, I went That's away great. for six weeks. I went to Singapore. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can come back to that, but I mean, I basically went for research mm-hmm. uh, and I went to, I was only in Singapore for maybe three weeks and Taiwan the rest of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was kind of a quick jaunt into Asia and right back out. But from by John Young's, by John's by standards, my standards, yes. right? So you know, by my standards, I attacked the city. But what really right. means is I just did one thing a day, maybe two, right? As opposed to five, ten, I don't As know, like zero. Um, um, is the whole crazy rich Asian things in Singapore is that a thing there right now, or is that like way over? Or what is up? You know, uh, I mean, the one that critiques crazy rich Asians is that you are seeing this part of Singapore that everyone's like, that's not what we're like, and yeah, it's not what we're like. But my comparable is that like you watch the Kardashians, like that's not what America is like either. Um, right? Any any place represented in Hollywood is not going to be right. That's what we're like. So people really? taking the task for, oh, it's not flashy, it's not this and this and that. It's all true, but at the same time, you know, it's fine. You know, I don't need it to represent everything. Um, I found mm-hmm. Singapore to be really, really great. Uh, a lot of people were telling me that it's very boring. Um, <laughs> it can't. It's very sterile, but it. I mean, nothing I like. But clean. It's very up sterile. your. It's right up my alley. It's up your alley. I have super clean. Yeah. <laughs> Good food. You know, I did not love the food, but I think I was not eating correct. What? Oh my god! Um, but didn't didn't you go around with my college friend who's from there? She was like giving oh you all god. these recommendations. Your college friend, my favorite. Claire, name. hi Claire. I think I don't see why not. Oh, she was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about. I'm Claire. so happy that worked out. Um, mm-hmm. No, it was great. I mean, I wish I had more time to hang out there. I mean, I met her pretty early on, and I saw her maybe another mm-hmm. time or two. Um, mm-hmm. And she was full of a information, uh, b just no yes. stuff. Uh, she's totally, f- yes. I mean, I, I think we could have gone along fabulously. Um, yes. And I heard, yeah, I heard about how you were so great in college. So cool. Um, <laughs> it, it was my peak years, yeah, yes. Of, um, yeah. You know, her perspective on Singapore was interesting. I obviously tried to go there and talk to as many people as possible. Um, so I had like yes. every other day I'd like meet up with people, friends of friends, whatever it is. But still, you know, even with that, mm-hmm. um, I've never gone anywhere to like research a place before. So that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did just take lots of pictures. I tried to talk to people. I didn't, you know, I probably didn't meet as many people outside my circles as I could have. And similar to sort of Jada, like, uh, you know, I didn't do a lot of nighttime stuff because I was a little bit solo and also I was just mm-hmm. tired. Um, <laughs> but I do want to really talk about their architecture. And that's the one thing I would highlight about Singapore. I mean, the food, oh. the food I'm sure the food is great. I just didn't, it was not as easy to get like crazy delicious food as say our trip mm-hmm. to Vietnam or Taipei were like literally anywhere where I went, I was like blown away. Oh, um, and man. at the same time, I was not looking for food. 
because I would just kind of eat at the hawker centers, which is perfectly great for me. You know, like I wasn't like looking for specific foodie places or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'll eat the mall because I'm hungry. Then I'm going to go do something. I hit up mm-hmm. basically, you know, as many museums as I could. I went to the zoo four times. I'm an annual pass member of the what? Singapore Zoo. Uh, oh, get that. I mean, there's four different it. parts of there, which is what I want to talk about. Um, there's the Singapore Zoo. There's the nighttime zoo. There's a bird park. Mm-hmm. We love those. I do. And then there was also, Whoa. it's called the River Safari. Um, wow, they really they like things, huh? the outdoors. They like nature. Their buildings incorporate a lot of, you know, forests and, and things. And so, like, even though it's a super crowded, small place, in theory, um, mm-hmm. they care about the environment, you know. Um, everything's beautiful. That's very cool. And it's, to me, it was really just a, a very pretty Taipei as far as convenience. Um, that's not something I'd ever mm-hmm. heard anybody say about it before. People were just telling me how, like, it is sterile and it's not that exciting. You could be done with it, like, in a weekend. But I actually feel like i barely explored it mm-hmm. at all um but yeah i recommend going back oh very cool because I, th- I only went for a couple of days back in college you know as we just i was right. studying abroad in hong kong and we just we just booked a local tour guide just who with like us kids and then everybody else was like an old old cantonese couple so it was in and out so i just i remember a few things about it but not as much as you so i would love to go back for sure but i do remember thinking like okay after a couple of days i probably wouldn't want to be here anymore um, but of course it'd be different if you know someone who lives there, of course, you know, like, like anywhere else, they know all the good spots, whatever, whatever, love eating, all that. But I'm really happy, like bringing it back to myself in, in terms of, um, connecting you with Claire. It's like just points for keeping up with people on Facebook. I know a lot of people try to be anti and get, get on their high horse. Cause I haven't seen her literally, literally since college. This is a long time ago. Um, and we just keep in touch once in a blue moon on Facebook. And when John was like, I'm going to be in Singapore, everybody like, please give me recommendations or people to me. And I was like, dude, I've got to like, write to Claire. And she was like super responsive. It was awesome. And I just gave, it gave me the warm and fuzzies. So I'm like, oh, yay, like connections still work. I mean, I know this, but just, you know, t- this is the concrete example, a recent concrete example of that. It's like definitely still has worth to keep in touch with people, even if you don't talk to them often, um, et cetera. So glad that worked out. Thank you. I met so many yeah. great people there, all through yeah. my friends, because I didn't know a single person there, except maybe two. That's really, really yeah. cool. And so in terms of, um, you said you went there for research. Did you find what you were looking for, or was it uh, challenging? Yes or? and no. I will tell you about that later. Oh, okay. Look at me, me in suspense. Okay. <laughs> um, should we move on to your adventures? Sure, sure. So mine kind of was more back to a sort of normal person vacation, wah, wah, but long for a normal person vacation in that sense. It was two weeks. I went to Portugal and Spain with my lovely boyfriend. Um, I had never been to, neither of us had been to Portugal before and he had never been to Spain before. I had been to Spain two times. So my initially started off with Spain, but I was like, but Portugal. And I said, Hey, let's just go to both places right next to each other. How much time did you spend? Portugal, by the way, I feel like has blown up in the tourism yeah. industry in the past Everyone few years. Portugal. I feel, yeah. Now. Yeah. I was, I'm like behind. I was like, Lisbon, whatever. Um, because I'd been to Spain, you know, first time I was in high school. Second time was just years ago. And I feel like the first time I went, like I, nobody ever talked about Portugal. It was just this, like whatever tiny country next to Spain. <laughs> And I feel like it was, it was nothing. And then in, uh, I should research this more. I'm wondering if it had to do with like the economic downturn. And, and um, apparently Portugal was the Western uh, European country hit the hardest by it. So I wonder if the push for tourism came out of that or not. Who knows? But because of that, um, they're in an interesting you know, transition period. So first we went to Lisbon and then we took the train up to Porto. So Lisbon, of course, is like the city to go to in Portugal. It's very hilly. They're known for the trams. It's very similar to San Francisco in that sense by the water. 
but <clears throat> you know, Uber's everywhere now. And sometimes you would just grab an Uber and I had one very talkative, slightly bitter driver, which doesn't surprise me at all. But, you know, he was complaining about the fact that because tourism is more popular now, now it's getting too expensive for the locals. So people are like moving across the river, blah, blah, blah. He was giving me concrete prices like, oh, you know, a loaf of bread might be 20 cents in Lisbon, but across the river, it's only 16 cents and we don't earn that much money. It's cheap for the Westerners. Uh, you know, other Western European um, people who travel there from the UK and whatnot. He's like, but not for us. Well, blah, blah. and I was trying to commiserate with him in a sense. I was like, hey, I was like, it's happening in San Francisco too. <laughs> right. Tech industry, blah, blah, blah. But he was not, he was in, the, in that mood where like, he doesn't, he didn't want to have a conversation. He didn't want to listen, even though there were a lot of similarities, um, you know, with what we're from as well. He was just like on his tirade. And so I was like, every trip or this is just probably, probably I'm, I'm guessing he does, but yet at the same time, it's like, okay, you can't beat him, join him. Right. Like, Oh, I will be an Uber driver and take all these foreign people's money (laughs) because you probably make more money doing that than, you know, being a waiter. I don't know. Um, but that's, so of course I felt a little weird for that. And of course we're sitting in Airbnb and we're like, are we ruining the economy? (laughs) Yikes. Um, but I mean, I loved it. It was like a lot of people, this sounds dumb, but a lot of people speak English way more than I thought. Again, considering the fact that tourism there, how big it is, you know, has not been that way always, but I guess you can't, they can't expect people to know Portuguese. It's a super hard language. You know, it's not like Spanish where everyone can just, English speakers can just pick it up, you know, basics. It's like, no one can speak Portuguese. (laughs) You're like, you gotta be kidding me. So that was that, um, a lot of good seafood. The cod, um, they of course like to still emphasize their the times I guess when they were in power. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about because mm-hmm. you know the Portuguese used to run it all. Right? They did, and, and I, mean, I mean they conquered Taipei. You know, like I'm Taiwan. You know, they they've been around. Yeah, that's, I mean so, Macau, like they've been all over. A lot of so what what did you sort of like learn or like uh, did, is this I don't know what was the take? I know nothing about Portugal, so you tell yeah. Me I mean, I probably should know more than I do considering that I was there for two weeks. But uh, well, generally now, you know, when I think about countries like Portugal, even like France, like these really actually small European countries who might not be in the best shape now. Part of me is like, oh, I feel bad for you, and then I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your country right. like colonized half the world and ruined all this stuff, yeah, like killed all these people. No, no need to feel bad. I know I shouldn't feel like, bad. Okay. Right? They're like, oh, yeah, look the at empire us. will fall. It's fine. The, we were hit by the like you know the, the not depression. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I, crash I, right. or whatever. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So you still see a lot of pride, um, you know, in their explorations and whatever. But I, of course, they're very selective about it. Like, I didn't really see anything with their connection to Macau, even though people in Macau love to emphasize their connection with Portugal, even though that was a long time ago. Um, you know, having lived in Hawaii for so many years, it wasn't a Portuguese colony, but there were, to my knowledge, but there were a lot of. Portuguese uh, migrant workers, because like every other person you meet there will be like, oh, I'm part Portuguese, I'm part Portuguese. And it's like a really big, one of the huge ethnic groups in Hawaii. And like, they got their own nicknames, their own stereotypes, all that. I didn't really see anything connecting Portugal to Hawaii at all. But I was like, is it because they didn't conquer it? Probably. Um, So that was, yeah, that that was quite interesting. But I will say, one thing I didn't know is that uh, Goa in India, the beachy region, was a Portuguese colony for 450 years. What? So therefore, there's a ton of Goan food 
in in Portugal and it's freaking delicious. Like, you know, obviously India is huge. So you're like, well, Indian food, but it's, you know, they're known for their seafood. He was just like, oh my gosh, some of like both Justin and I was like our favorite thing. One of our favorite things to eat. I did have so, a lot of Indian food and experiences in Singapore that I had never had before because it's very mm-hmm. South Indian, all the stuff there, which is mm-hmm. very different. Yeah, there are a lot of Indians in Singapore, yeah? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, one of the four major ethnicities that they try to balance out. Um, so it's a Chinese, is it? Um, Chinese, Malaysian, uh, mm-hmm. Malay, and then uh, Indian. And they had this word for some sort of like mixed Spanish and white. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, really? I ask Claire actually about that. I'm not okay. entirely clear. I think the term is like Eurasian. Really? But I don't know if that's actually the term, but something like there's a fourth one that I was like, you mean white people? Like, no. Else. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, but yeah, those are the four. You know, they have the the symbol of the city has this like little chalice or something and each each ethnicity gets a side. Uh, so they're really all about sort of like put on diversity. But that's a really a whole other topic for. So. No, it's fascinating. Again, especially considering how small it is. Yeah. You're like, it is this like crazy mixture. I was unfamiliar with the Spanish white group in Singapore. I need to know more about this as well. I mean, the top down sort of systematic sort of uh, everything we try to do in Singapore is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Portugal, I mean, I, I know so little about them. Uh, as you said, mm-hmm. you know, the power has waned. Um, yes. And nothing comes to mind. I think of Portuguese egg tarts. That's, that's it. You right. Know. Which we did eat and they are delicious. How, how do they compare to the actual <laughs> Taiwanese egg tart? Because, you know, for me, that's how right. I, that's my big, you know, entry point into Portuguese stuff is like the egg tart mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'd had versions of it before yeah like actually some did some places will try to push like a portuguese egg tart which of course is just their regular one but it's like maybe more more like flambe so on top. having had the real thing what's the what's the difference here what are we talking i won't about? say one is better than the other i feel like i have to be loyal to my chinese roots and say the chinese one is better but they're just different so the portuguese ones i found i definitely had a few i'd say the best ones that i had the crust was not as thick and flaky as the Chinese ones. And then the actual custard inside is thicker. I think it's it's more almost like a creme brulee versus the Chinese ones are more of like a jiggly jello custard. Was it easy to get around in the city? Yes. yes well, because oh, I mean, the, the like... Uber's everywhere now. But <laughs> well, you only went to Lisbon? Oh, uh, then we took the train up to Porto, which I guess is like the second city. Oh, so Porto. it's about th- right. a three hour train ride north. Uh, it's a more compact city. So Porto is definitely more walkable. Uh, is more compact, but Lisbon is walkable too in terms of what the major areas are. But it is quite hilly, and the streets are made of a lot of tiny cobblestones, which made it hilarious. Then the fact that lime bikes are that lime scooters are there. You're like, how do you ride this thing? Lime? Oh, I know. I was, I was actually really mad about that. I don't know what a lime scooter is. Oh, because the San Francisco thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I've worked there a couple of times as a caterer. But anyway, um, so Lime is a company that is known for their e-scooters. They also have e-bikes, and I'm not quite sure what else. They're, they're one of the ones that got passed through for the San Francisco stuff. Well, their headquarters in San Francisco, but the funny thing is they got banned in San Francisco because, right. because when the whole boom of e-scooters came, like everyone was so pissed. All the locals were pissed off because there was just... There's only two left, right? Two companies that got the actual... Kind of. There's like these newer ones coming up, and I don't, they're not, I don't see them like everywhere now, but it's enough that... Like apparently all these former Lyft and Uber drivers are picking up gigs to be scooter collectors. Like they, because they can use their own cars, I guess. Yeah. I read an article about that. Okay. Like scooter repair people and collecting people. Right. They just collect it to go charge them again. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of random to me. So there's enough, enough that there's, if they exist, but I don't really see a lot anymore. 
Uh, I don't know. But anyways, Have you ever written one? No, because I'm such a hater. I think people in San Francisco mm-hmm. hate so much. And then when you go to another city where tech is not as big or it's more welcomed yeah. into the economy, people are like, they're so fun. What are you talking about? I, what do you, why do you hate them? <laughs> so in principle, I'm still like, damn you. But uh, my boyfriend is like that too. But there was one morning when I was really hungover and sleeping half the day and he went out and he's like, I rented a scooter. And I was like, what? He's just waiting to get, to get out by He's like, well, you know, I'm not from here, so I can, I can do it. I'm like, oh, without being judged. Okay. But the thing is hilarious that they're in Lisbon because it's so hilly and cobblestone. I'm like, how do you do this? But it was funny to see some people try to do it because they couldn't, they couldn't. But then if you go down by the water, you know, and then just ride along the flats and then there it's definitely possible so that was random and people i talked to who had been there a year or two before said they it wasn't they weren't there so i'm like oh my gosh the worldwide domination is this for the better for the worse i don't know people are flocking there because it's cheap cheap for what by western standards right. oh you know i feel like most of the, i saw a fair number of asian tourists i want to say they're korean and mainland chinese oh um did you yeah. did you see other asian tourists there Oh, not that I could bad. recognize. Okay. I mean, of course, there's a lot of Americans there, which didn't annoy me as much because I expected it. I was like, all right, yeah, everyone right. goes to Portugal now. What's the comparable to Spain, Portugal? I mean, I don't know. To me, I'm like, I don't know. Oh, how do they compare? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even talk about Spain. It was, it was my third time there. Um, well, I think like I should, I should talk to Justin more about his impressions between the two. But yeah. I think the first day for sure when we flew from... Porto to Seville, definitely, even though places like Seville are, have been used to tons of tourism, like for a lot longer, I think, than Portugal. Um, because, because of the, because a lot of people do know Spanish, as I was talking before, like a lot more people there, like don't expect you to speak Spanish, which is great. But, uh, even just like our servers and really touristy areas were still mostly Spanish speaking. But, you know, of course, then all the restaurants will have their international language menus. Like what language? They would, you know, it was nice that they didn't assume where we were from. Um, they're like, oh, what, what do you need? Like French, German, because they were English? Hmm? They were confused. Confused slash they're, made the, they're so used to just all kinds of tourists from everywhere that they cannot assume that, you know, an Asian lady with a oh, white dude, sorry, you know, are American. You know, we could, we could be from France. We could be from Germany. Um, anyway, so I think there's that. And then, I mean, I think their, their eating hours are similar, but not quite. So that's why sometimes I try to be like, oh, I get it in Portugal, but then I'm like, wait, no, not quite, not quite. The hours are a little bit off. Wait, when is this open? And <laughs> I don't know. Were you guys going for a wedding or just? No, a- just to go. We've been talking about going on another international trip for a while. We finally got ourselves together. <laughs> I waited. Is this your first one since your first one? No, second I mean, one. Right. Uh, the f- second one. I mean, the second one since your, you know, the initial one. Oh, uh, yeah. First international trip since our since we first started dating, and we had done some domestic ones. But that, I mean, this goes into a whole other ter- territory because, like, <laughs> I waited way too long to book things. And then I just ended up doing this crazy itinerary, which is very tiring. And then just the other day, Justin said to me, um, cause he's not, he wasn't used to traveling the way that I, that I was. And again, this is like one of the big differences between us. And then he finally was like, you travel like a poor person. And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> this is how I've been able to travel so much over the years because I'm on a budget, dude. <laughs> anyway, that's going to be a whole another thing, but it's good. You know, we grew together. <laughs> You, you made it through together. You're still together. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. 
Um, we're at 30 minutes. I know, I know. There, we could talk forever about this travel, but let us move on. Do we want to keep on talking about travel? Oh, I think, I I mean, if anyone's curious, they can ask us and we can uh, talk more about it. Relationships and travel on another podcast. Oh, that would be a great one. Okay. I'll write this this down. Um, Okay. So, what's what's next? Uh, I have that we are going to talk about. Oh, are Asians basic? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Burning question from John, and I'm so curious. So here's the thing, Margot. Uh, you're Asian. I'm Asian. Yes. Uh, so we can disparage people. We can disparage Especially our own kind, of course. People. I mean, I think you disparage anybody. Uh, <laughs> Asian people, not all of them, maybe Asian Americans. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how to say this, but we're bred to be basic, right? Oh I my mean, God. Please tell me. pretty much, I mean, aside from just assimilating because everybody wants to assimilate, I mean, assuming, I mean, this is in a way, you know, Growing up, you flock to people who are like you, mm-hmm. right? And um, then, then you're saying your background, and I didn't really understand that for a while because I was like, well, nobody's like me. But then, like, after a while, you're like, okay, yes. Like, there's a reason why I can talk to this person about these things, and it all makes sense. Uh, because if you have a shared sort of immigrant experience, especially Asian American experience, like, you can assume a lot of things and be 90% right. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, you know, of course, we are from California, so there's like a lot of stereotypes that go with that. Oh, yeah. um, but because of sort of where you flock to uh, the Asian American communities, and I'm speaking very broadly here, we only like the same, you know, few things. And because culturally, that's what is valued, you know, what Asian does not like food, what what human does not like food, right? Um, but this is why when you are sort of looking, uh, let's say on dating apps, per se, mm-hmm. or perhaps, you know, my big theory on Taipei is that like, a lot of times not to disparage the Taiwanese, but uh, people <laughs> there tend to kind of like the same five things, because that's kind of what is there, you know, you like vacationing, hiking, <laughs> like eating like the night markets uh, you like the night markets you like shopping uh and you know some things pop up but sometimes they don't because when the funnel system in taiwan is sort of like the biggest city is taipei and taipei is, is fantastic i love it obviously mm-hmm. but there's you know a handful of things that are prominent to do right okay and the background that you're coming from is probably not that varied as far as like maybe from the city maybe from the country you know there's like a lot of relatable things um, so I think with Asian Americans that we are maybe, we're not only great at simulating, but culturally we are just bred to be basic and boring. Interesting, John. What's your sort of I don't know uh, if I take? fully, I mean, I think I can agree with you in a sense if you, if I reframe like the, uh, the worldview in terms of, I mean, you know what you said, I mean, couldn't you, would you be able to say that about like, um, you know, people from Sydney, like, oh, because you're, you know, raised in a particular geographical area with similar influences. One of the top five things that probably most Sydney siders would say they like is the beach, because that's just a thing growing up like in a sunny area along the beach. So, I mean, in that sense, I, I agree with you. You know, if you grow up, you always flock to people who are like you. Um, yeah. Oftentimes that does fall to, in, into race slash ethnicity. Um, but, okay, well, I think we had a conversation a while ago about... Okay, from my perspective, I don't, I don't want to believe that all Asians are basic in general, but I definitely do have a specific criteria for what makes a basic Asian. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm seeing it from that perspective. Like, I think I had a tirade about, um, in San Francisco in particular, like to me, again, don't flame me on this, but like, I think there's a t- particular type of basic Asian that I call like a sunset Asian. That's <laughs> sweeping. I don't know what that means. Like it's sunset district. Like basically yeah. SF Asian American townie, right? right? Have always never been anywhere else. 
just always and also like okay let's let's go for boba let's go um get some pho i mean i'm not disparaging anything that's asian but it's like there's a very particular way that you be a towny asian american sf basic person so but for you you're trying to make a blanket statement that all asians are basic (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know if it depend asian americans or asians Hmm. Um, you know, oh. this is not, it's a working theory, obviously. Um, hmm. but which led me to this sort of, uh, and you know, I, I don't want to call out ethnicities, but I will, um, <laughs> Indian American dudes, uh-huh. fucking basic. And I think there's something we've mm-hmm. had a discussion about. I've discussed with many of my friends, many um, of like, whom are Indian American males. Yeah. Yeah. Correct? Yes. Of course. Um, you know, and just kind <laughs> of like looking because here's the thing, and I'm not going to be like, I know that many, or I know what's out there and I don't, um, but you know, we're going through the dating sites. Uh, but you know, <laughs> we also just see, you know, and part of it is sort of like in, in that particular case, it's a little bit cultural, you know, it's, it's yeah. you're reinforced to be, um, uh, I, I guess you're reinforced to do certain things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, don't stand out too much and you like this and you can't dress too crazy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when you're outside of that, you really stand out. And mm-hmm. so you really have to fight for that. And if you're already a male and the whole entire culture is sort of built around the Asian culture is sort of built around, you know, making you feel great about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very easy mm-hmm. to stay in that system. Right. True. I mean, you could say that too, then for perhaps like Korean American males. Oh yeah. I'm talking about Asians like, in general. Right. right. I'm oh, not okay, even, okay, I'm right, just talking like, about broadly Asian Americans. Right. Okay. You are the son. For me, it's just like, you know, not to be like, oh my gosh, uh, somebody has to be edgy to be not basic. But you know, when we were looking for our friend and we're looking for like in American dudes for her to date, it's like, um, like oh. who, who are you seeing in New York? Like, you know, and this is even mm-hmm. New York, like are you seeing some cool like Indian American like bartenders? Are you seeing some good baristas? Mm-hmm. Like no and no. You know what I'm saying? Like you seeing some <laughs> artists and musicians, like, you know, stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. so that's that was the beginning of my theory. And oh, I'm gonna wow, run this one all the way down because I mean I can if I break it down to very specific subcultures then I think I can get on board, but I'm I'm still hesitant to be the part of it because I'm like, I don't want to be basic, even though I'm becoming more basic in my older age. And athleisure, etc. But um but I think okay, perhaps the case and to uh dig at the whole deeper and generalize in groups, you know, you you mentioned like say Indian American males. Oh, but I think part of it, because if you are in America, like I think most Indian Americans our age, like everyone is of the same generation. Most likely they all come from the same social and economic class because their parents' generation, the only way to get into the States, right, was if you were at a certain job. If you were a doctor, if you were an engineer, you could come into the U.S. Therefore, their offspring are all kind of like starting off or weren't into the same level, right? And to the same group. So maybe that's why. So like, as they're growing up with us, that's perhaps maybe why your friend is like, man, they're all the same. They're all the same or whatever. I think perhaps like subsequent generations, you know, as you get into third generation and more, then you will see more variation, right? I think with, with any immigrant group, like the third generation will be the artists, the creatives, buck the trend, whatever, whatever. Second generation feels the pressure to fulfill their parents' dreams, expectations, because they sacrificed so much to come to this country, etc. Um, I mean, the thing is, you know, so- I, I'm I'm the I'm, I'm I'm the exactly the basic Asian American on paper. You know, the things I like, the things I like to do, and it's like because you realize if you just watch the immigration patterns from various countries, that's just what happens. Like you said, mm-hmm. right? You know, the Taiwanese people came. My parents' generation, they came for college. They're gonna be really into education. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then you, we went to Vietnam. We learned about the Vietnamese history, and you see the immigration waves here. You're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. You know what I'm saying? It it, it starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. But regardless of the reason, we're still basic. <laughs> 
But do you think that that's going to change for people who are younger than us? If, yeah. if, if this is true, be, because to be assimilation is not as emphasized now. Now right. it's cool to be worldly or to have like multinational, right. you know, identities, et cetera. So then perhaps, uh, mm, I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent, but I see what you mean. Um, does that bother you? And I'm, I'm for sure, John, like, you are not a basic Asian for sure, John. No, no, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a very Asian Asian, you know, the shit I like to do, the shit I like to look at, uh, eat, things I like to eat, you know, uh, boba life, you know, like I understand boba it all, life. right. You know, I don't step out. But I mean, you're a young adult author and you wear skirt pants. You can't be fooled by the outside, but inside, you know, I'm, I'm very Asian American, you know, the things I'm into, it's like, it is always. Well, for that. you, are you talking about? Are you talking about a suburban Southern yeah. Californian yeah. Asian American? Because then that's we're talking about the very yeah. specific like subgroup. Maybe like right? a little off center because of you know friends or what you're around and things like that. But if you drill down to the hmm. very very basics, you know it's like I get along great with the basics and don't be <laughs> off, right? I'm not I'm not repelled by them. I'm more like I, I want in. I'm like I want in. Like please give me the microphone. Uh, so you know um, it's not even self hate. I'm just trying to put together um, some ideas about when some ideas working theories i think hmm, semi-related to what you're saying perhaps and again i you know i've encountered a handful of people in my life who will tell me that i'm like so funny and like oh my gosh like and i'm like dang who have you met in your life like i don't think because then i know in my older age and, and seeing back i'm like you know there actually are a ton of people like me i'm like a yes. ton of people particular to san francisco mm-hmm. you know like you know, multi-generational Asian American person who tries to be woke, you know, interested in Asian American issues, you know, love food and like travel, whatever, whatever. So, but like when I hang out with a lot of, you know, our mutual friends in San Francisco, we all like the same things, right? We might think that we're edgy because we're like, oh yeah, I used to work for this progressive publication or whatever. We think we're so different, but we are, you know, birds of a feather. Um, I mean, I don't know if that speaks to like, oh, is that being a you know basic San Franciscan? I, I guess whatever. in a way, but I think I want to defend basicness. I'm, I'm starting to say that hmm. if it's environmental, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not your fault. Uh, if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you fault, are from San Francisco you. and you are a particular, you know, ethnicity or like do things, like you probably like those things, right? So it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's not my fault. Uh, you know, it's very good will hunting. <laughs> it's not anybody's fault. But then, so then this wouldn't be a particular to Asians then, right? Well, I mean, I mean we are know saying that basic, because the, the pressure to assimilate. No, um, <laughs> right? I mean, that's clear. I mean, there's the, the reason the term exists is because the majority of people, right? Uh, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's, a, there's the generic term for sort of a basic person. And that's not like the Asian American one that we would think of. But I think there's also a specific stereotype mm-hmm. of that. And I was looking yes, at one of my old sure. blog posts on OkCupid. Okay, they used to put out... Um, one of oh. these things about like, okay, most Asians on this site or most black people on the site or white people on the site, here are the things they're into. And this is what got me thinking. Oh, I love that. Uh, because love like, that. you know, oh, and they God. highlight the things that most people are. And I hit like 10 out of 20 of them. I'm like, oh boy. And this was like 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Oh so man. They, they ran mm-hmm. the stats, you know. Um, but so, you know, white people like, you know, remember the blog, white people like the shit, you know, uh, it's a stereotype. Um, it's not their fault. It's not our fault. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is working theory. <laughs> Don't feel okay. No, so there's no, no conclusion yeah. or a proposal. You're I would like you to observing. also and think of some reasons, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Open to discussion okay. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I am. Um, yes. Yes. I am trying. The wheels are turning now. But I, I kind of get it now. But now I want a boba because I'm an Asian. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could probably come up with like a fun acronym with like basic, like boba. Asian soupy, you know something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how boba stands for basic Asian. 
boba obsessed basic Asian, but is that like kind of redundant? Uh, I mean, the, you know, people are like, I'm a bad Asian, right? That a lot of people say that, right? Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's fine. Oh, that's you ever true. Anybody say like, yo, I'm a bad white person. Like, no, you know, <laughs> no. Like, man, I'm a bad. I don't like karaoke. I don't like both. I'm a bad Asian. I'm like, ah, that's cool, man. You know, I, I, you're not bad Asian, but that's kind of a term that we use. Damn. Very, very true. Uh, yes. I'm, about, I'm a bad black person. Yeah. Like, what? Like, have you ever heard that? True. I have never. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't hear that. So either. we do a lot of self hate, but it's fine. We're gonna mm. work through it. Yeah, you need to write some papers on this, John. I, I feel it. <laughs> food for thought. Um, speaking of food for thought, should we do some quick hits about cooking? Oh, uh, excellent segue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Genius mastermind. Um, Let's start with a couple of food things that I want to shoot out at you. Yeah, Food hits, as John um, likes to say. I know say. you're subscribed to the New York Times. Um, I read this article about the New York mm-hmm. Times cooking section. Are you familiar with this? Uh-huh. You are. You yes. subscribe to that. No, not what anymore. <laughs> I'm quite upset by this, uh, by the way. It used uh, to come with my subscription, my basic my basic. Yeah, like I never, you know, I'm not a cook, so I don't go in there. Um, but I read an article about how the New York mm-hmm. Times cooking section, um, they don't have comments, they have notes, and it's like a very friendly space. Um, and how people just try to help each other improve mm-hmm. on recipes and stuff. And it's just great recipes, right? From their collection of... Yeah, you know, they're fantastic recipes. Um, good photos, so good So fantastic if you're familiar with it, but you are not familiar with that section, right? Well, not anymore because I've since been blocked out because I used to have free access to it um, until they put up the paywall right. a few months ago. So unfortunately, because I do not have all access subscription, just the the most basic one, I no longer have. And I, I don't want to pay. One twenty five. I feel like I pay yes. for. Yes, I mean that's what the new is it price is. I don't know. Or I think it's at one twenty five a week. Oh, that's a lot. I think it is. I remember thinking like, damn, this is too much oh, for me. I feel like if I, I'm pretty sure because I was looking at all my the things that I pay for, especially online on a monthly basis, and I was like, dude, I can't oh, I do so anymore. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I guess this is not a recommendation, but I just wish somebody would come talk to us about, or talk to me about New York Times cooking section because I can't see it. Um, oh yeah. I know. And it's like, Oh, yeah. click on this. Cause I still, cause I still right. get the New York Times right. cooking newsletter and it's so like tantalizing. Oh, here's what I've noticed. So if you click on the email on the same day, I believe you can see the recipe, but if say I'm a day late and checking the cooking email, then I cannot mm, view I see. Cause it'll be like, oh, it'll open. Cause I still have the app and it'll open the app and be like, oh, sorry, you're not subscribed. I'm like, damn it. Um, but one thing I tried, so I, I was like, hey, let me see if I can hack this in my not computer hacker way. So I started to follow New York Times mm-hmm. cooking on Pinterest and see if I, cause you know, so I would pin a lot of the recipes, but now I can't because I'm not, you know, I, I can't view it. Um, of course they don't pin every recipe that they publish. But I've noticed one of my recent things that I pinned. If I op- if I go through Pinterest, and open the pin, I can actually open that page. Do you see the comments? See the That's recipe. what I'm curious about, though. I, don't, I mean, I don't care about the cooking. I mean, oh, so you want to? I mean, I don't cook. cook so. Um, I think. Ooh, I used to be able to. Yeah, I think. What I think maybe this is also just like a self-selected. You know, New York Times readers tend mm. to be a little bit more thoughtful. Um, erudite, shall we say? Well, it led me to mm. this egg salad, right. uh, egg salad sandwich I really want to eat. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw almost that went one. two weeks mm-hmm. ago, but I couldn't because it closed at 3 p.m. But well, maybe for our next trip to LA. Oh my gosh. Go. Tell, tell us, tell our listeners um, about the sandwich. It is, I, I look up where it is, but it's in LA, I think Echo Park. And all it is is just an egg salad mm-hmm. sandwich. And what it is mm-hmm. is like, it looks beautiful because they cut it kind of like in a different way than normal egg salad sandwiches. Uh, it's Japanese, of course. 
Um, and I just briefly looking at the recipe, it sounds easy to make and it's something that I feel like I can specialize in. Um, so I really want to go, but you know, I just need to go once and taste it to see if I can recreate it. Um, I think it's called Conebee. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's, it's about, it's around there. Yes, I think Um, so. Unfortunately, they have weird hours for me. Um, but they are going to be open for you. So Conebee egg sandwich, take a look. Um, it looks delightful. Mm -hmm. The special thing is that it's an egg salad sandwich that still has a whole soft boiled egg in the middle and you cut it in half and it's beautiful. And you're like, why didn't I think of this? (laughs) It's so simple. No, it doesn't. I think, I mean, I think you have to boil the egg just so, um, but yes, I was so happy to see that you put that on our list because I was drooling over that. And I too, that is also on my Um, list of things to make. I'm sure I can find it. No, I have the recipe. On the app, the recipe, (laughs) Oh, you know, I think I did. I think I screenshot it. Oh, this is my other hack that's so not sophisticated is that if I'm opening the recipe in the app on that day where I can still view it and I want to keep it, I just screenshot the entire recipe and like have like 10, 10 photos. (laughs) Feels a little old school to Um, me, but I'm like, yeah, you'll never know. So I believe I have like 10 screenshots of that recipe. um, Another thing I want to cover with you was our friend Lucas, uh, the frugal traveler. uh, He did a ranking (laughs) on best fries. Did you see that? I read that, yes. Also, it's funny when John refers to him as our friend Lucas, because he's not my friend at all, but we pretend that we're both, because at we both point, have like a one degree, one to two it, degrees of separation. No, I haven't met him. Wait, have you met him? Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> yes, we both know people. When I meet him, I'm him, Like, though, very well. Because I'm just going to start so, talking to him, like, as I defend you. Oh, because, like, stalker. Yeah, totally. If I ever meet him, I'm like, yo, I know everything. Yeah, so, yeah. yes, so anyway, we both our call friend him our friend. huge, you know ranking of fries uh it, it, this was not a lane i thought he would be in but that's fine somebody had to do it and i was glad it was him um did you agree with any of these rankings yes mm-hmm. i haven't had all of them uh i think some of his judgments were very harsh but i was amazed by the metrics <laughs> he's like you know the the graph goes you know obviously tasty but also texture so you have tasty and soggy you could have like crunchy but not that tasty okay here's what i was surprised about kind of oh, he ranked the in and out fries so in-N-Out low fries are trash it's one of those, like, when I was when the first time I had In N Out, when I was perhaps a young teenager, I was like, what is the hype? I do not get this at all. And the older I get, the more I love it. And I don't know, general in general. But you're right, In N Out, nothing, no one particular food item is actually that. The hamburger is delightful. Because it's so fresh. And we've been, we've, I've been going to In N Out every week. So I'm, I'm really, I'm <laughs> yeah, really right You are an expert. True. I mean, I don't think they take the time, I don't think they soak their fries. Right, because when you taste it, it tastes too much like a green potato to me. Not like there's a really a, great a good fried potato. Do you know what I mean? And if you don't know, um, you know, it's like before he actually used to write a lot about food in short, you know, Times articles. So he's great, and those are actually better than mm-hmm. his books. But in this podcast episode, he talks about beef tallow mm-hmm. and why our fries used to be better because they no longer eat beef tallow. Um, and now, mm-hmm. I mean, they, because of the freshness of their fry mm-hmm. and they want to keep the food like probably a little healthier, a little fresher, that's why their fries suck. But mm-hmm. if you double fry them, it's a little Right, better. because they're too fresh. Exactly. Exactly. They're too, too pure. pure. It's like they're too pure. Yeah. 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 Did anything. Oh, also, I was surprised mm-hmm. that Lucas is like a waffle fry hater, I think. I love me a waffle well, fry. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard when you are going to judge a whole genre and you just off hand take something huge off the table you know it's like i'm gonna judge the best meat in the world and like i'm land to beef like okay we're good right but that's fine <laughs> right any and do you have any more opinions about his uh his rankings or you pretty much agree with everything um you know, i don't 
I don't really have a close relationship with fries. I don't know if anybody does. Uh, maybe in high school when you're like, I'm just going to eat fries all the time. <laughs> you know, when you go to the mall and you get that fry. What is that fry shop? That's always. It's like mall. what you can afford. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're like, well, I don't want to eat this. I can't. I can't eat that. So I'll just get a bucket of fries and cheese on them. Mm. Uh, but nowadays, fries are not like a high priority item. Interesting. Do you mm. think so? I feel like my urge to eat fried potatoes in whatever form just gets more and more as I get older. This is probably my wisdom. Like, oh, more and more. Yeah, I'm mean, just getting old and fat, really. I'm just like, mm, give me that salt. Give me that crunch. Like potato chips, french fries. Ah. ah. Oh, so you would you agree McDonald's is the best fries? At first, I was like, really? And then I realized, well, I think they definitely have the most consistency in terms of like the consistent wherever you go. They're almost always the same. I will say yes to that. And they salt them a lot, mostly. Yeah. That's key. Well, I mean, it's just a delivery system for salt. Pretty much. Right? And, uh, <laughs> That's why fries are addicting. I should be one about movie popcorn, actually. That should be my lane. <gasps> Can you do the same thing for movie popcorn? Yeah. I guess. I mean, I mean, do you love? Me? I mean, do you love popcorn? I'm very experienced with movie popcorn. Oh my god! Not all popcorn, just movie popcorn. So, just movie in the theaters, or would you rank the one the movie popcorn that you buy in the store to make it at home? Oh, theater popcorn for sure. I'll tell you which theaters have good popcorn. Yeah, I know. Oh, you, that's it. Do it, and that'll be start of your. That's it. You're right. That'll be that'll be start of your dialogue with Lucas. When I'm just aping him. In journalistic form without really stalking him. But then you can like tag him. I don't need to start dialogue thing. We're already in dialogue. <laughs> just one side. It's fine. Creeper. Um, do you have any other food news? Oh my God. I mean, a little bit, but well, we, we had talked about this before. Apparently, both Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger have these like super secret, much hyped version 2.0s coming out, or they're already starting to roll out slowly because they're in such fierce competition with each other. Um, but I haven't yet tried the version two yet. So I feel like I can't quite food hit this, but it's on the list. It's like, you know, to be determined. I think there's a, on the website, you can, you can see where around you has the version 2.0 now because version 1.0 is everywhere now. And I have to admit, and maybe not want it as much anymore. <laughs> it's not exclusive. When we had it at the yeah, exclusive place, it was, I mean, we were the only people like Instagramming about it. Not only, but we were like, Yeah. And now, now wherever you go, they're like, do you, but do you want the impossible burger? I'm like, what is going on? That is like their forced sales pitch. No matter where you go, no matter what restaurant carries it now, you're like, okay, guys, calm down. It worked on you, the branding. It did. Kind of, yes, but no, because now I don't want it anymore. But also I think because it's still, it's still expensive. Put it this way. I think it's still too expensive Sure. for what it is for my taste that I'm still like. Well, now that you've stopped buying it, of course it's still expensive. Right? <laughs> But I'm willing to drop another 15 bucks on version 2.0. Okay, so here's the thing. I looked at the website and the tagline is, the original recipe was great. The new one will blow people's minds. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> and even the way we talk about it, you know, is like 2.0, 1.0, it's dropping this, dropping that. We're talking about it in terms of tech, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it's like other foods, they would never mess with the original recipe, right? Oh, this is good. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Because it's like KFC would not be like, "Ooh, we got a new recipe, you can love it." They'd be like, "No, no, no, we're gonna guard our recipe forever." Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if Impossible Burger will just keep on iterating on their first. Interesting. Maybe they are waiting until one of their recipes becomes such a classic and it becomes so ingrained in our cultural like food lexicon that they can't change it after that. I'm not sure, but they're waiting for like perfection. Yeah, and also I think again this is something that uh, my boyfriend always brings up because he's a, a vegetarian and he, when he wants a veggie burger, some places offer both a veggie burger and the Impossible Burger. Some only have the Impossible Burger, and when they only have the Impossible Burger, he's like, no, because he doesn't like he meat. doesn't like it. He doesn't like meat. 
And so like, it's funny how these places try to like really grab the vegetarian being like, we have the impossible burger. And they're like, no, dude, I hate meat. <laughs> like I don't want them that taste like meat. I want the garden burger. I want the veggies and the rice. So that's interesting. And perhaps he's just a small minority, but there are people out there like that. So I think all the places that are just trying to 100% replace their veggie burgers with the impossible burger, I feel kind of bad for the, the planosauruses out there. But <laughs> feel like they're being left out. Side note, side note. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. That's a good amount of food hits. That was great. Yeah, so you're wrapping up. Wow. Four months into one hour. So hard. <laughs> I have, I will talk about a TV show. <laughs> so original, but I love it. Okay, on Hulu, there's Pen15, or really it's Penis and Graffiti Talk. Have you been watching this? Do you know of it? Uh, I have seen maybe three minutes of it, but I know the conceit. Okay, okay. I love it. (laughs) I finished it. Um, For those of you who don't know, it is one of those flashback shows. It's uh, these these two actors, actresses, um, and this other person created this show, and they're 31 years old. And part of the gimmick, but it actually works beyond that, is that they play themselves as seventh graders. So it's hilarious. <laughs> I can see like lesser skilled show, like kind of just having that be funny for a second. And then you're like, all right, I get it. I get it. But they're super good at it to the point where sometimes I actually forget that they're grown ass women playing middle schoolers. <laughs> they have like the body posture down, just like haircuts, outfits. It's, it's. They're Australian? No, they're American. Oh, here's the fun fact. What I see, I w- actually, I wanted to segue into something to talk to you about somebody in the show. One of the leads is my Erskine, and she's Hapa, Japanese and white. And she does have a bit part in Insecure on HBO, but she has, you know, she's a co-creator of the show. And I was kind of like, dude, did I miss her? Like, I was like, I feel like a lot of Asian Americans are having, you know, kind of our moment, so to speak, in Hollywood now. But I don't see Maya Erskine, you know, you know, some of the bigger Asian American stars do a lot of collabs with each other. You know, they, right. they'll be on each other's shows, whatever, but I don't see her. She's obviously like into being a woman of color, you know, on Insecure in the show. You know, she, her real life mom plays her mom. They're speaking Japanese. It's very cool. That's just like, it's not a big deal. It's like, this is who I am. Yeah. I've never, no, show. I mean, I thought it was true. But I kind of like, did I miss the um, boat on her? Or like, do you know much about her? Lane. Or maybe she's been, I, I don't know, oh. you know, I've never seen her, heard of her. And upon watching, I was like, oh yeah, she, you know, who is this person? I don't watch Insecure, so I don't know. In Insecure, that's all I know her I from. Did. Yeah, I don't like it anymore. Oh, I thought you were the one who recommended it to me. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you know, she plays one of um, the lead's co-workers. It's, just, it's pretty funny because they're like in this great like, office. Pop up and on she's like the only other American person of color who works there or something yeah. like that. It's Right. No, I don't think so. So I was like, whoa, what's going on? But I feel like she should. I'm just curious. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But the fact that right in the show, it's like her Japanese side is very prominently featured and it's like, and it's pretty cool. Oh, side note. Also her real life dad is the drummer for weather report. (laughs) Peter Erskine. Okay. Okay. I don't know them well, but they've been around since the seventies. It's like the sort of jazz fusion mainstream like group. Anyway. So I, I strongly recommend then pen 15 because every episode it's so like it's short it's just well structured it's a strong storyline strong arcs and also one review pointed out the fact that you know a lot of adolescent humor especially related to sexuality is usually like focused on guys yes and now you have one that's like on the like girls sexual, sexual education have you seen that right and it's pay, paying the same amount of attention to like oh when she gets her period or when she discovers masturbation or whatever it's like hilarious it's so good anyway do it okay 
pen 15. Let's do it. All right. And what about yours? Do you call it pen 15 or do you call it penis? I call it both. When I first broach the subject with people, I start off light and I say pen 15 in case they get offended. And then I go penis. It took me a, a little bit to realize that. And <laughs> Justin was like, are you serious? I was like, what? I didn't know. <sighs> Uh, okay, fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, my recommendation is also media related. Mm-hmm. Um, it is my favorite movie of all time is Reality Bites. And although I have been sort of rethinking my favorite movies of all time to sort of reevaluate my life now in my 40s and what I like, wow, yeah. Reality Bites is still just, it holds a special place in my heart. And uh, the website, The Ringer, they do a series of podcasts called Rewatchables, which is mostly just movies from like 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. They had a monster episode about Reality Bites. And whether or not you love the movie, uh, they actually talk a lot about music and growing up in the 90s and how it resonated. Um, so I would listen to it anyway for most people, but I think maybe give it a rewatch some point and then i'd love to talk about it because it is squarely something you know that i think it's obviously our generation i believe right does it have the same i wanted to talk to you about that actually because well a the ringer is obviously is like john's favorite website (laughs) they just they cover so much um but the reality bites thing okay so the the difference in years between you and me is about three and a half Mm. right i'd say so we are usually, you know, in the same uh, age group, you know, same references, but I've noticed with Reality Bites in particular, I think it's a lot of Gen X stuff. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just like a little bit too young yeah, for that because I have one of my best friends also like loves Reality Bites, but she's like two years older than I am. And I think like I was just, you know, you t- just that cusp age where like you two were just old enough to get it. And I was just a little bit too young yeah. to get it. So it doesn't speak to me the same way. Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, they don't speak to me in the same way as they do to you guys. I think I get it for sure. But I, I would think have I to major read... philosophy because of Ethan Hawke. You know, I patterned a lot of my life after him. Wow, wow. No, so I, I do need to rewatch Reality Bites. I'm sure I, I would appreciate it a lot more now just because I'm older generally. Um, but anyway, speaking of yeah, minor age differences and the, the gaps in, in culture. <laughs> Three and a half years of that age is huge. Though. Yeah, no, totally. That's why I'm like, dude, this is why. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, also Reality Bites, you know, uh, it's not the references, but it's like you really have to hit that exact pinpoint time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so if anybody would like to talk about Reality Bites, uh, let's be friends immediately if you love it. <laughs> it's one of my barometer films. I used to show it to girlfriends and wish they would love it. Oh, if they didn't, I'd be like, you're oh, out. just crush it. I'm crushed. Oh, that's a good litmus test. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> now I just judge them on everything else. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Do you like Boba? Are you Beastie yeah. Asian? Right, right. Okay. <laughs> Can we sing together? Um, okay. So, well, man. thanks for coming, Marco. Well, thanks, John. This is great. Our first podcast of the year. It was great talking to you. Talk to you in sooner than three months. Yes, of course. And thank you for tuning in once again to the pod- to our podcast, The Redo. We appreciate it. Thank you for your patience and your fandom. Bye. All right. Well, until next time. Hi, Claire. Bye, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.